0: Chapter Four of Sir Titus Salt, Baronet: His Life and Its Lessons. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Butros. Sir Titus Salt, Baronet: His Life and Its Lessons, by Robert Belgarni. Chapter Four. I am one who feels within me a nobility that spurns the pratings of the great, and their mean boast of what their fathers were, while they themselves are fools effeminate, the scorn of all who know the worth of mind and virtue. Percival In the year 1822 Titus Salt came with his parents to Bradford, he being then about nineteen years of age to himself this was an eventful period of his life little did he know the future that lay before him in the town he now entered as a stranger and that he was to become an important factor in the development of its trade in the growth of its civic and political life in the multiplication of those physical moral and religious agencies that were to make it distinguished among other towns of the kingdom As little could he foresee that in this place he was to reap fortune and fame, to have a colossal statue erected in its midst while living, and when dead, to be borne to his grave with the mournful respect of the whole community. As Titus Salt's business life and the growth of Bradford are somewhat contemporaneous, touching each other at many points, it will be necessary to give the reader some idea of the town as it was and as it is its name is of saxon origin which is supposed to be bradenford or broadford there is a town in wilts of the same name with which in postal communication it has been sometimes confounded the propriety of the name in Wilts is obvious, for it stands on the banks of the Avon, where a broad fort is visible, but this is not the case in the present instance. There is no river nearer it than the Air at Chipley, a distance of three miles. There is not even a stream of such dimensions in the neighborhood that would justify the designation broad to any ford across it. WHENCE, THEN, HAS THE NAME BRADFORD ARISEN? THE TOWN ITSELF IS SITUATED AT THE JUNCTION OF FOUR VALLEYS, WHICH, IN THE OLDEN TIME, WERE WELL WATERED FROM THE SURROUNDING HILLS. NOWADAYS THE WATER AMONG THOSE HILLS IS COLLECTED INTO RESERVOIRS, AND TRANSMITTED TO THE TOWN THROUGH ARTIFICIAL PIPES. The old channels have therefore become almost dry, and the erection of buildings has well nigh effaced them. It is supposed, however, that the small stream at the bottom of Church Bank was once of considerable size, and that the ford once broad near this spot gave the name to the town. From the commencement of the present century, the growth and prosperity of Bradford are intimately connected with improvements in its worsted manufacture. Previous to this, its trade had been carried on in the slow and unproductive methods of olden times, but the introduction of the inventions of Arkwright and others brought about an entire revolution. While other towns adhered to the antiquated system of domestic spinning, Bradford began to erect mills and warehouses. In its proximity to rich fields of coal, iron, and stone, it had ample scope for enterprise, while later on the introduction of the railway system gave fresh impulse to its commercial life. In such circumstances it was no marvel that Bradford drew towards itself the trade of other towns, and that its population rapidly increased. From 1801 to 1821 it had more than doubled itself. When Titus Salt became a resident, its population was about 10,000 now it is about a hundred and seventy thousand and its splendid manufactories warehouses and public buildings dedicated to art science philanthropy and religion are the true indices of its great prosperity such is the town to which titus salt came in eighteen twenty two and with which his life was to be closely identified for the next fifty years mr daniel salt commenced the business of wool stapling in a small warehouse in bermondsey it was the intention of the father that his son should be associated with him in that business but it was deemed advisable for the youth first to acquire a practical knowledge of it in some bradford establishment the manufactory of Messrs. Ruse and Son had commenced in 1815, and was rapidly rising into prosperity. It was fortunate for Titus Salt that he obtained employment there, for not only did he acquire a knowledge of wool-sorting, but also of the various processes of combing, slivering, spinning, and weaving, all of which were to become conducive, to his own commercial success. For his practical knowledge of wool-sorting, he was chiefly indebted to John and James Hammond, two brothers in the employment of the firm. He once acknowledged this in our hearing, when the name of Hammond was mentioned. It was John Hammond, he said, who taught me to sort wool. As an evidence of the value attached to the services of these two brothers by the firm... They were both remembered in John Ruse's will, and one became afterwards a partner in the business. It was a maxim with the Ruses, those who have helped us to get money shall help us to enjoy it, one worthy of the highest commendation, and which Titus Salt adopted as his own when he became an employer of labor. For in making his thousands he never forgot the thousands who helped him to make them. Let us enter the establishment of Messrs. Ruse and Son and see Titus Salt at his daily employment. His work there was real, not nominal, thorough, not superficial. Had he shrunk from the drudgery and soil of business at the first, he could not have reached that point of eminence in it which he gained at last. Imagine him introduced to the sorting-board. He is a tall young man with a brat, or loose blouse, worn over his clothes to keep them clean. The fleece of wool is unrolled and spread out on the board being impregnated with natural grease it holds entangled in its fibre a variety of substances with which the sheep while living had come into contact these must be carefully removed all the wool of the fleece is not of the same quality but varies in length fineness and softness of fibre it is the business of the sorter to separate these different qualities and to put each into a basket. It is evident such occupation requires long and careful education, both of the eye and the hand. Had Titus Salt confined his attention exclusively to this one department of the business, and then at once joined his father, he might perhaps have been a successful wool stapler, but not a manufacturer but as we have said he resolved to know every process from the fleece to the fabric and into each he put his heart the next process was washing with alkali or soap and water and his knowledge of this served him in after years when his first experiments in alpaca began and which he performed with his own hands the next process was combing it is necessary in the production of yarn that all the fibres should be drawn out and laid down smooth and distinct and that all extraneous matters should be extracted when titus salt was with the ruses this operation was done by hand now the combing machine with its ingenious improvements has superseded it and become the glory of the trade the wool thus combed is prepared for spinning this process consists in passing the slivers of combed wool between a series of rollers which produce rovings it is immediately from these rovings that yarn is produced by spinning which is then woven into the fabric such was the occupation of titus salt at the ruse's establishment during two years there was no department of their business of which he had not some practical knowledge thus thoroughly equipped he joined his father in the wool stapling trade which was henceforth carried on under the name of daniel salt and son it soon became evident that there was ample scope for the energies of the young partner in this line of business which was rapidly increasing he threw his whole soul into it with the ardour and enthusiasm of youth no difficulties were insurmountable no fluctuations were allowed to damp his courage or thwart his purposes To him was entrusted the duty of attending the public wool-sales in London and Liverpool, and effecting purchases from farmers in Norfolk and Lincolnshire, after the season of sheep-clipping. John Hammond, who travelled on behalf of the Ruses, was frequently his companion in these journeys, and his judgment was sought in any emergency. A more forcible illustration of the expansion of trade in Bradford cannot be given than that in 1825. There were twenty-eight stage-coaches, plying in and out of the town. Ten years before, the number was only four. The spinners had made great improvements in their spinning machinery to meet the increasing demand for fine yarns the increase of inhabitants produced a want of market accommodation to supply which a market-house in hall-ings was opened which was superseded by a larger one adjoining darley street in eighteen twenty four now the commodious exchange buildings standing in market street are the latest architectural sign of its trade prosperity but mr titus salt's time and energy were not wholly devoted to business on coming to bradford his family connected themselves with horton lane chapel then under the pastorate of the reverend thomas taylor a man whose memory is still revered by the older inhabitants this chapel was at that time the only one in bradford belonging to the congregational body and may be regarded as the mother of those that have sprung up since a sunday-school had been recently formed in connection with it of which mr james garnett was one of the superintendents being an earnest worker himself, he was always on the lookout for young men in the congregation likely to be of service in the Sunday school. Mr. Titus Salt was not long without an invitation to take part, which he readily accepted. He was first appointed librarian, then teacher, then superintendent and to these circumstances may be traced the deep sympathy with Sunday schools which he manifested throughout his subsequent life. It may not be out of place here to mention that the last act of his life was to erect a Sunday school at Saltaire, the cost of which was ten thousand pounds. There are old Sunday scholars still living who remember him in each of the above offices, One says, He was a capital librarian, and always recommended the book best adapted to the reader. Another says, The class consisted of ten scholars, and he taught us the assembly's shorter catechism. Another says, We liked him as the superintendent, but the only drawback was he would never offer public prayer in the school. Another says, he was very simple and quiet in his manner, not given to much speech, but a deep-thinking young man. Why do we record these simple facts? Because in such occupations Mr. Titus Salt presents to young men an example worthy of being followed. His connection with Horton Lane Sunday School was of great benefit to himself, Would that he had then been fully decided for God, and had exercised his vocal gifts in public. Perhaps he would then have been free from those nervous restraints that hampered him in after-life. But the Sunday-school work diverted his thoughts and sympathies once a week into other channels, leading away from self and business Godwards in trying to teach others he was himself taught and in becoming associated with a band of christian workers he formed friendships that conduced to the growth of his true manhood in such circumstances the sunday was not a day of idleness or of weariness to him but one of pleasant and profitable occupation and if any young man should be constrained to follow such an example we doubt not he will personally reap the advantage of it but it was not on the sunday only that mr titus salt devoted time and energy to the benefit of others he early began to manifest that sympathy with the working classes which took so many practical forms afterwards by the power of such sympathy he acquired an influence over men which increased as he grew in years and won the esteem of the community his first appearance on any public occasion was one long to be remembered in bradford in the year eighteen twenty five there was a strike among the wool combers which lasted six months and produced great distress and alarm in fact it was a civil rebellion in which blood was shed and life sacrificed all business was stopped and the operatives being liberally supplied with money from a distance were emboldened in their reckless course added to the stoppage of trade a large banking firm with which the tradesmen of bradford had extensive dealings now suspended payment by which many were seriously affected and a public panic thus ensued but it was not until may eighteen twenty six that matters reached a crisis the operatives thinking that the introduction of weaving machinery was the cause of all these disasters and inflamed by popular demagogues proceeded to attack horsefall's mill but what had mr titus salt to do with this i remember says a living eye-witness titus salt took an active part in trying to bring the malcontents to reason he went into the very thick of the mob and was not frightened a bit he remonstrated and reasoned with them but all in vain When, however, they refused to listen to reason, and proceeded to violence, the case was altered. He stood up for law and order in spite of all consequences. Special constables were required to protect both life and property. The same eyewitness says, I remember seeing William Rand and Titus Salt hurrying up and down, trying to induce their fellow-townsmen to come forward as special constables. When the military were called out, one of them dashed along the streets, warning the inhabitants to keep within doors, as their lives were in danger. The result was, the mob was dispersed, but not until the riot act had been read, and several persons killed or wounded. We narrate these incidents as supplying interesting proof of the public spirit of Mr. Titus Salt at the age of twenty-three. Few young men would have ventured to face a mob of excited workmen, and to calm them by moral suasion and this step was the more remarkable from his naturally quiet disposition but it is worthy of notice that the strong sense of duty that actuated him on this occasion was a prominent feature of his whole life when his mind was convinced of the rectitude of any cause that demanded his support no obstacle deterred him His natural timidity forsook him, and he became bold and self-reliant in dealing with masses of men. Another instance of a similar kind occurred many years after, when he was a large employer of labor. A strike had taken place among his workpeople, which created great anxiety in the district and the country generally the times newspaper devoted a leading article to the subject how the breach between master and workman was to be healed whether capital or labor would win the day were the anxious questions to be solved but mr titus salt was equal to the occasion when a deputation of the workpeople waited upon him to discuss the point in dispute, what was their surprise when he calmly, yet firmly, answered them thus, You are not in my service now. You have of your own accord left me. Return to your work, and then I shall consider your proposals. The request was reasonable, the argument unanswerable and such was their confidence in the rectitude of their master that they at once resumed work and the point in dispute was very soon afterwards satisfactorily settled chapter four